0: Hey, okay. folks, welcome to the Some podcast. My name.
1: <laughs> I just totally crashed you there. That's
0: your fucking car crash intro. Jesus. I mean, that's. Yeah, we've broken the seal. We can't go back. Can't go back. you know what? Like, I was going to say I'm joined by two satanic globalists. You fucked it. <laughs> Is that anti Semitic? that's alex jones part it? Yeah, exactly <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> exactly i'm not you know, serious though so like.
2: Yes. globalists is a, a, absolutely a euphemism for absolutely the change, right? yeah
0: <laughs> but you know it was <laughs> ironic as we often do on this podcast christopher
2: well um opposite me is a man whose very shirt is a, a blood libel uh but is that that looks like a christmas jersey it's bright fucking red it's like me mate well, that, that is that shop. is a that, <laughs> that is a blood libel then. Yeah. <laughs> Crime against
1: children as well. Oh, and it's. going completely against type uh, in his bedroom is Chris Cusack in a red and black plaid shirt. My God. Is there a shop just called Grunge? Do you just go <laughs> in there and say, <laughs> make me look like I'm supposed to look? <laughs> David, this is the reason
2: that uh, my own brand is taking off so well is because I, <laughs> I, I, I know my look i've got a look you know yeah yeah you need, to, you need to be identifiable you keep changing one day you're salmon the next day you're blood red a couple uh-huh. of times you're in black metal
1: stuff sometimes you're in
2: some kind of ironic comedy shirt i actually Jurassic do you know Park. what,
1: do you know, do you know what all, i did I mean, do you know what i did yesterday that i felt like, i felt like chris gusack yesterday on the internet it? uh there was somebody on facebook and they were posting first of all there were photos of like parties in a back garden and they definitely weren't socially distancing and I was like alright cool and then also there was a guy partying was wearing a Burzum t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like I, I didn't know who the guy was but our mutual friend I just commented like edgy fucking Burzum shirt mate <laughs> and, and he he was tagged in the photo and that, there was me just putting <laughs> some bait out and reel it in but nobody's replied to me so he shat it It must have been such a good diss that they had no comeback. Sometimes
2: you get that. Sometimes you just, you're like that little, uh, what, what are those... Tie, not Tie Fighters what It's like Star Wars You just Your insult is so Perfectly targeted It <laughs> flies through All the wee channels Of the Death Star Down the exhaust And just fucking Blows his world apart yeah. That's that's how good Your Facebook well, comment you Was know, mate I feel <laughs> the, if,
1: if you're wearing A Burzum t-shirt Then I think That your Your defence Isn't that secret You're uh, <laughs> it's not, There's quite a big Opening there For taking you down But Oh well Um
2: Well, uh, all I'm saying is I've grown my hair, I'm sticking to the plaid shirts, I've got a look. Mark is basically just a beard. Uh, He's got a look... (laughs) You just need to be a bit more consistent. You were Liam Howlett three weeks ago and now you're Ricky Gervais.
1: Well, you know, I don't like to pin my political flag to any mast and I don't like to pin my fashion flag to any mast. I like to pick and choose the best of all parties. Well, how are you
2: ever going to get that little range of action figures of David Weaver out in time for Christmas if you
1: don't have a definitive look? Well, I'm just going to make more money from all the... uh, the additional uh, (laughs) you know fashion add-on series (laughs) that's it folks
2: I let the cat out of the bag we've got a series of unsung action figures coming out just uh, prior to Christmas
1: it's uh, the next in our line of merchandising (laughs) oh my god that would be great I I mean it would be a dream to have an action figure of yourself wouldn't it totally I wonder who imagine just pulling the thread
2: and it's like I am your host Mark Fraser (laughs) I am your host Mark Fraser
0: (laughs) I want that so badly
1: now (laughs) Uh, did you know that after Jurassic Park came out they made like proper little action figures of like all the main characters but they didn't make one of Lex the girl in it who's like effectively saves them because she knows the Linux system she's the hacker. That's because uh, they know what I would have done as an 11 year old boy <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jesus Christ
2: <laughs> I, wa- I, I was an 11 year old boy it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not exactly good but it's definitely not what you're suggesting
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyway I would love an action figure of the three of us but I'm not going to give it to Chris you know um, since the action figures probably won't be
2: ready in time for Christmas because David can't pick his brand uh, you know what else you could do with your money Oh, which smooth. clearly, <laughs> which clearly nobody has. Uh, h- how many subs did we get, Mark? Since we started dangling the abba carrot, we got three. Fucking three. Three, man. Come on. Three. Come on. I, I can't tell if that's a deliberate abstinence because they don't want an abba mixtape, or if it's just complacency. Like, oh, someone else will. Someone else will get it. But, yeah. I mean, you're not. You're not getting it yet. It so has we to get need to 10. seven
1: more of you listeners that are out there listening to this for free this glorious content needs seven of you people to go out and sign up to our patreon uh it can be the smallest amount possible and then once we've got 10 new subscribers you're getting an abba mixtape yeah my thinking was maybe nobody likes abba but that's incorrect isn't it can we up the ante Dave? for you will you have a beer i'll have a beer yeah and i'll do it topless (laughs)
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll make
1: a video feature yeah. of it
2: and a, Yeah, another action figure <laughs> Surely the biggest
1: selling <laughs> Yeah, exactly So
0: There are already people that have subscribed to the podcast Because they're nice people who don't like getting this awesome content for free As Dave has already said <laughs> Also, your audio is a lot better now Thank um. you <laughs> <laughs> So, here are some of the dedicated anthems So, Mr., um, Mr Gareth Hughes Are You Lonesome Tonight by Elvis
3: Are you lonesome Tonight, do you miss me tonight? Are you sorry we drifted apart?
4: Oh, <laughs> sorry, <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> no, Is me that out. a
1: message? I
0: don't know. <laughs> uh, Greg we've given you Sunshine of Your Love by Fudge Tunnel.
2: He, he gave us some uh, clues
0: as to his taste And that is a belter of a cover And Hazel Burgess who I believe has a t-shirt That we made and especially w- for her And what
2: a t-shirt <laughs> yeah. they, When she received that she dropped us a message And was genuinely asking if it was our torsos <laughs> <laughs> Especially David because he's at the front That's an honour and, and I've got my arms round him I
0: believe uh, Your dedicated anthem is The Claw by Cut Hands Which I've never heard before So,
2: Ah, oh, it's a really good song Um The guy that made it was in a project called White House Which is like an extreme electronic noise thing He's also got some <laughs> Problematic <laughs> he's, had, he's, he's had these moments But I believe that uh, a number of people still vouch for him So we'll probably get round to looking at his
1: transgressions in time But that is a banger You did mention Earlier today, because you sent something over uh, of doing uh, experimental noise mixtape at one point, so we're gonna to have to do that.
2: Yeah, perhaps. I was I was shambling about uh, some dark parts of the internet, looking at people scraping forks along metal bins, mm-hmm. and just thinking there are definitely people that unironically pretend to love this. <laughs> yep, yep, I've met them. <laughs>
1: they're all mental. <laughs>
0: So thank you very much to everybody who's subscribed already. Um, speaking of dark parts of the internet, we're going to be doing our first ever special content for our subscribers. A completely new idea which we've never fucking tried before. So <laughs> could be a total car crash. So The unsung town hall. Yeah, the yeah. unsung town hall. Some See. quality uh,
1: questions
2: <laughs> in the offense. Some of them quite
1: personal, I found. <laughs> yeah, so yes. you can only be part of that asking us really weird questions and getting honest answers uh, if you are a signed up Patreon so um yeah, get on it. So hang
2: on a second. You're telling me you get a dedicated answer, you get to pose questions to us, you get bonus content. You get yeah. the
1: episodes on a Friday rather than a Monday, so you get them three days early.
2: And and the and the lowest tiers only two dollars slash two pounds Two dollars? That's that, I that can't be right. Why why isn't everybody signed up to that? That's crazy. It That's blows crazy. my mind.
0: I mean, we anyway. Have, we literally have thousands of <laughs> listeners every month. <laughs> I don't understand that we don't have fucking more people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We should uh let's
1: let's get on to the, the actual content that these people don't pay for. So um <laughs> maybe of this
0: preamble is why they don't pay for Yeah, probably <laughs> Probably. <I> don't, <laughs> they don't know where to skip to.
1: Um Mark, this is your choice I believe.
0: Yes, so I have chosen The Marissa Nadler album Songs 3 Bird on a Wire.
2: Nope, he didn't. He chose Songs
0: 3, Bird on the Water. Bird on the Water, sorry. Bird on the Water. <laughs> Bird on a Wire. Bird on a Wire. There's a song, there's a song on song. called... Oh, Bird I chose, on your Grave, sorry. There's I, I, a song, I chose song Bruce by Willis. Action Bronson <laughs> called
1: Bird on the Wire. This Is, is, not is it not a Bruce Willis film? Uh,
0: I think it is. I don't know. Songs 3, Bird on the Water by Marissa Nadler. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I picked.
2: <laughs> I would gladly have spent all week watching Bird on the Wire instead.
1: Oh. I don't think I've seen that one. Bruce Willis Showing his hand. I th- I think it is It's something like that Yeah uh, I might have to check it out I've been watching old Bruce Willis movies recently Pretty much So um Did, did you also dip into
2: that uh, part of that moment in Friends When he made his appearance Oh god And it's so fucking smug It's all about Oh god he's such a handsome professor <laughs> And Ro-
1: Ross is sleeping with his hot daughter Oh dear uh, I haven't watched Friends in a long time And I don't miss it
0: Bruno, that's uh, his... Oh, the return of Bruno. For, for his, Yeah, for his records. Yeah. <laughs> Great.
1: Hemorrhaging listeners
0: <laughs> right now. <laughs> All
1: right, Mark, tell us about Marissa Nadler. Who is she? Why should we give a shit about this record? <laughs> well,
0: that's a tell good us. Start. Uh, so I actually came across her when I was doing um, research on the Chelsea Wolf podcast ages ago
1: mm-hmm.
0: and actively taking uh actively taking some interest in trying to, f- trying to diversify my listening. Because I realized by being such a punk for so long that there was really not a lot of females in my <laughs> canon of artists that I listened to regularly, so um, came across Marissa, Marissa Nadler a, a, as well as a whole bunch of other people around at the same time, and I was quite taken by her voice initially, her
2: uh, me- mezzo soprano vocal
1: style, yeah,
0: and her I, our, I, mesmerizing, haunting voice, I yes, believe
1: big, is all big, beguiling, so. almost siren song. Some have, have said. <laughs>
2: Uh, apparently, our vocal style's the same as uh, Tori Amos, Pat Benatar, Whitney Houston, Beyonce, Regina Spector, who's probably quite a, an appropriate reference, mm-hmm. and Taylor Swift, the so, mezzo-soprano
0: range. Just female vocalists then, just <laughs> basically. Just
2: <laughs> no, I mean, that that was not all the female singers in the world that I just said, there are I some know, others. I know,
0: I know. But for the initiated, that means really pretty much nothing, I suppose, if you're not to Clean Client, but... Yeah. It's yeah, you're
2: right the, I mean, before
0: we even get into the album, her breathy vocal
2: style is yeah, it's I don't know what you'd say. I mean it it's absolute catnip for, for men and women, I think. Mm-hmm. Very alluring, all the kind of all the the metaphors of like sirens and Greek myths and the sort of semi-deadly female characters from mythology. You can, you know, she kind of courts that a wee bit as well in the in the imagery and the 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 general atmosphere around her music. The whole kind of gothic nature of it, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, Yeah, do you
1: know there's actually a couple of Scottish vocalists that I think are definitely similar range and similar. Ethereal and you know haunting, but like strong and powerful. Uh, Siobhan Wilson and Rachel Samani. Yes, Both, yes um, absolutely touchstones for this. So if you, yeah, if you like this, yeah. go and check them out.
2: Yeah, very, very close at points in terms of range. Um, before
0: before we dive into everything about her, had you guys heard of her before? Have you guys had much love for this kind of music?
2: Well, I'm on record as really loving a lot of artists that are in her orbit. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I brought Joanna Newsom to the table. Uh, yeah. I've mentioned Siobhan Wilson a number of times. I think, much like... Almost any other genre of music I'm quite particular Like I like a lot of different genres But I tend to only like a few artists Within those genres Yeah, Uh, And I can usually dispel with most of it Uh, I had heard of her But she'd never stuck uh, You know for whatever reason So this was my first chance to really dive in And become familiar with the music Rather than it just being something I was faintly aware of
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah I don't think I'd even heard her I was aware of her But I don't think I'd actually listened to any of her stuff um like it's interesting that you say that she came from listening to and doing research on Chelsea Wolfe to me i always tied her up with like that gothic female singer songwriter like Chelsea Wolfe Emma Ruth Rundle yeah um but i guess we'll we'll talk about this record but overall she's surprisingly a lot more folkier than i anticipated
2: yeah, this is this is the thing. I don't really get the, the and the gothic tag is used heavily with her and almost all of her albums. Certainly, our last like six albums all have like predominantly black covers, uh, and even the earlier ones have quite sort of somber grays and stuff like that. So like the aesthetic is quite dark, but like musically, yeah, it's like it's sometimes it's
1: just pure Americana. I'm not sure I entirely. Yeah, it's follow, more stuff know, that are. <laughs> um i don't know even like julia stone or like lisa mitchell country vibes indie vibes on a lot of the stuff i mean it seems like there is definitely a movement within the 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 world of
2: certainly female solo acts Uh, there's a number of them, even the likes of Sharon Van Etten who started as a sort of coffee shop girl next door type artist gravitated towards a darker sound. Her her live shows were suddenly bathed in red light and she was wearing black leather and lace and stuff like that and I think that gothy appeal is for some artists gives them a sort of edge, even if it's certainly nowhere near as dark musically as Chelsea Wolf.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, more. I think it's definitely For me It leans more On this Darker Atmospheric Aesthetic Which I think People automatically Assume as gothic She's not really I mean If you want to think about it In the sense of American gothic Which is a different thing From goth in general Then Mm. she's definitely More that kind of vibe But I think people Mm. Maybe often cross Maybe cross Those The meanings of those things Quite a lot Is it
2: folk Folk noir as well Or
0: something
2: like that Yeah And I mean I've seen her fairly Accurately described in places As dream pop Yeah, she does she does that a lot. Mm.
1: Especially later on. Although she has made career decisions that are much more akin to somebody within a heavier genre. You know, like she toured with Earth. Yeah, I was going to say and she two thousand s- contributed vocals to uh, uh final record. Um, you know, yeah,
2: Turnworths. Tur- that's Turnworths. A really big statement, I think, in terms of branding. Uh, we'll probably be talking about branding a few times here because musically it's an odd pairing, uh, but it definitely starts her out on a route that most other artists that probably sounded like her weren't gonna take and it opens up a new audience. There's there's undoubtedly an audience of beardy guys that love Cult of Luna. Mm-hmm. No offence to anyone present. No, but um, right. uh, who, you're talking about. who who do have these sort of weepy moments to themselves where they want to listen to this and sometimes these artists just place themselves in the periphery of that and sort of hover up that audience of sensitive uh craft beer drinking new men.
1: Yeah and some of these bearded men um, may well really enjoy, I don't know, the new Taylor Swift record, uh, or I don't know. And ironically, if what, who am I thinking about? There are certain artists out there that they might enjoy Regebson. if they were branded differently, but they're not cool. Um, yeah. Whereas artists like Marissa Nadler have that edgy vibe to them that you know, goth, maybe yeah, more American goth than robert smith goth but um you know that allows these um how would you describe them what's what's the word for w- when you're a man <laughs> <laughs> oh god my brain today there are like, when you're a man, that's afraid of uh, showing any weakness i think they're woke bros that's that's yeah maybe mm-hmm. but it allows it allows them into the feminine circle, <laughs> if that makes sense, <laughs> it allows them to enjoy femininity, uh, but whilst maintaining uh, a dark edge to their um, personal brand.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Marissa Nadler, then born in Washington DC, raised in Needham, Massachusetts. She she learned to play guitar as she was growing up, and then when she she was when she became a grown up, she went to the Rhode Island <laughs> School of Design. Um, <laughs> Which is a, a great way to segue into that. Doesn't really any <laughs> people grow up? That's what happens. Um, she started off like as primarily like a visual artist. Which is yeah, she does cool.
1: like illustration and stuff, doesn't she? In fact, I think she graduated as an art teacher.
0: Yeah, is she right? did. And then she she graduated as an art teacher, and she was also playing a lot of open mics at the time in, in New York. And she released her first proper album, you know, Ballads of
1: Living yeah. and Dying. She's already getting mm. the goth vibes out there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, although, in, like before that, she'd recorded an album called Autumn Rose
2: in two thousand and two, and an EP called Somber Ghost Recordings. Yeah, so I was uh, going to uh, say two thousand and three.
0: Like- Neither of which were released. Yeah, so even though she released the album in 2004, she'd been playing around open mic scene for a while. And she got an offer to go on tour for that 2004 album, which is why she decided just to become a touring musician. But the first couple of records she'd obviously recorded with, well, apparently she had recorded with her boyfriend at the time. And then they were just never released And then she she kept kicking around for a couple of years Making music Being very unhappy in New York because she, I think that's probably because One of the reasons why she just went off on tour She wasn't happy with teaching She wasn't happy where she was She was just like Fuck it, I'm going to go ahead and do this Which is really interesting Because she's openly said in a few interviews That, you know She's a really shy person And she still gets quite bad stage fright to this day She doesn't feel like she's an exhibitionist So she's not entirely sure like What this is in her That makes her want to go on stage and do it And she can she can find it Still quite daunting even to this day, um, but she reco- enjoys the recording process so much that she just kind of wants to get out there and play the songs. Um,
2: it's unusual seeing an artist like this has a sort of a first album that's unreleased, especially a first album and an EP that's unreleased. It's unusual to not be able to
1: find it, but I couldn't find it at all when I was looking online. Yeah, um, I'm wondering is it a musical decision or is it because of personal? Did she? not I don't know. To be it's because of I mean, being recorded with her boyfriend or I don't know
2: there were super early Sharon Van Etten uh, recordings who by the way she's actually collaborated with yeah. um, but you were able to find them on YouTube you know the, the early stuff even though it hadn't been released formally it, it was up you know just with a kind of placeholder image uh, I, I wasn't able to find any of this stuff so she's obviously kept it under wraps maybe she really doesn't like it or maybe it's got some sort of personal significance that she doesn't want to be reminded of, I've, I've no idea.
0: I mean, she, she actually said in an interview almost 10 years ago that she was planning to release them digitally and she still hasn't done it. And she is very active in Bandcamp. She uploaded a new collection of songs earlier on this year called Moon, which is like sort of ambient stuff. And she fucking loves her cover, man. There's three cover collections like on yeah, our band camp and lots of unreleased like demos and stuff like that. So maybe she's just not attached to the music anymore. I she was know. also looking out for us with the Nexus
2: with that one. Just yeah, like, there you go, guys, just in case you're struggling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I noticed as well that she she recently, I know we're going to skim through the records, but recently she did a, a track, a standalone track called Poison with John Cale. Yeah.
3: Uh,
2: the video for that was shot in Scotland. Oh, Did really? you see it? No, that's really, it's really nice. It looks like some kind of fishing village up uh, Chieftainland, where Dave's from.
1: Oh, I haven't seen that. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. need to check it out, and um, I can tell you where it was filmed, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that right now. Well, you talk amongst yourselves and I'll tell you D- where this was Dave, from. Dave's probably in the background waving <laughs> a bit of salmon.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think my crit- my critique of this was probably only going to make sense if I'm just honest up front. I found it very hard to care about Marissa Nadler. Uh, I-, I listened to everything. Uh, I've put together a playlist of 10 tracks that stood out to me. And and I have to be honest, even of those ten, there are some reservations. I think she's very, very competent. Uh I just think she's also often quite unremarkable. Do you she she learned guitar really young? I think she she's about eleven, is that right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. She was really quite good yeah. at, at a young age. She learned the finger picking style that she absolutely does to death. Uh it's just the first three albums are virtually indistinguishable other than the production style. Um the fourth album, uh, Little Hills was produced by a guy called Chris Cody who'd done stuff with Blonde Redhead, Yeah Yeah Yes, yeah, T V and the Radio. It's a much fuller album, it's really quite arranged, it's got a lot of other things taking place in it, and I think it's a lot better as a result. I prefer it when she does that. And then she drifts back into the sort of largely minimalist stuff again and just starts doing these finger picking patterns again and they are so it's so difficult to really track where you are in your career, other than the fact that some of them sound a bit higher budget and are likely to be slightly later on. Um, I just found it it's an awful lot of material that could really be reduced right down to, to a much more concentrated output. Yeah, I mean I've 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 pulled a few tracks out, so as we're going through her albums I'll 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 mention it. But it really got me thinking, yeah, you know, I spent a fair bit of time this week walking about with it and They get too philosophical about it It sort of drove home to me That whole notion of subjectivity in music You know, what is it about Marissa Nadler? Now Mark, I know you're going to make a counterpoint To this, I'm just giving you My perspective on it, but I was like Fucking hell, you know Last week the the Nobel Prize Was announced, and I was just thinking About the amount of work And effort and knowledge And the, the, the real Sort of level of Unfathomable Brilliance it takes to to excel in science, and this kind of thing really reminds me that music is sort of the anti-science, <laughs> okay? Or like that art in general, not just music, but art. You I mean you can get away with anything? I'm not saying that Marissa Nadler gets away with anything. I'm trying to be a bit more broad here, but in music and art, feeling is fact. You know, in science, fact is fact. Everything is, is has to be empirically proven. And in music, you can literally circumvent. Any sort of tangible criteria—it's—it's it's the, the the notion of proofs actually rendered kind of useless. Like genius is just an entirely subjective label. I, I just, uh, yeah, it, it started to kind of really dawn on me how much of a consensus-building exercise music is. How, especially now, just how much it's dependent on um, marketing and psychology. I mean, to to, to give an analogy, I mean you think about like the Russian election hacking. Was all about trying He's going to manufacture. He's going deep. Yeah, yeah. I know, but it's like it, 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 we talk about Russian election interference, right? Is it really that different than music marketing? You know, you're trying to manufacture a consensus. You As know, someone that works
0: you, in marketing, I can say no. The answer is no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th- you're really pouring money into journalism, social media, things like that, to try and manufacture a consensus around a perspective, in this case, around and a product. But I suppose you could say that Donald Trump is a product as well. Um, meanwhile, by contrast, you know, looking at the Nobel Prize, there are people who are geniuses, people who have levels of, not subjective brilliance, but actual mathematical, empirically provable brilliance, laboring in total obscurity. <laughs> like, Absolutely overlooked. I mean, the Nobel Prize gets announced, and I bet you could walk up to any person under twenty-five in the street, and almost none of them will know who the fuck got it, what they did. And I just—it really drove home to me the sheer frustrating subjectivity of art. Marissa Nadler is totally fine; she's totally fine. So many acts that we talk about are totally fine, but for some reason, as I was listening to her, I was just overwhelmed by the the facade of of of, of music. It just—it's like. Anyway, sorry.
1: So, <laughs> so next week Chris will be talking about his most unsung uh, physics uh, teacher of the last uh, thirty years. Uh, we'll be going uh, deep uh, on that, that's uh, easy. That's Bosh. That's Bostrom. Yeah, and, yeah. We'll be going deep on uh, neuroscience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I'm no, sorry, I, I understand. Like, I, sometimes you get that. Like sometimes I get that feeling, just kind of overwhelmed by the amount of music that there is and the amount of art. But I mean, the reason that we do this podcast is because we listen to music that makes you feel passionate um, Mm -hmm. and it is completely subjective. I think it's also
2: very lucky. I mean, this is the other thing. I think very, very few of the musicians that we cover actually manage to create something brilliant more than a few times. You know, it's something that channels through you a moment of inspiration. There are there are some things that just because they touch so many people you have to say well this is probably exceptional but the notion that the people behind them the 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 proportion of those people who are truly exceptional as opposed to people who maybe have one or two great moments and then are propped up by hype for the rest of their fucking lives i mean who can who can you really like tool for example okay so tool have definitely had moments of absolute inspired genius but then Almost their entire career has been propped up By the expectation And this sort of like uh, Again I've, this is the third show in a row where I've talked about The Emperor's New Clothes but this notion that Oh yep yep we all agree that this is These guys are geniuses we talked about Tom York Absolutely loads of low points In his
1: career It, it, it just really struck me about how Fucking But that's the, Surely that's the entire reason we do this podcast though Is because we're trying to shine a light On what we actually think is the genius Beneath all the hype yeah, well, as long we're as we are do it, and like I,
2: I guess as long as we're willing to burst that bubble, and that bubble's going to get burst a lot, and it's going to sound incredibly ungrateful. I, I don't think there's anything wrong about requesting some humility of artists, which is like you did something amazing. You're not a genius. You did something amazing. It was brilliant. You had a moment of inspiration. You're not fucking genius. You couldn't on demand reproduce that work to that standard the way that somebody who's like yeah, a but that's what really well,
1: art is. You can't do art on demand. Art is like a completely um, bollocks and un- un- intangible thing. Like you could be technically perfect. You know, you could get a ses- session musician to produce something perfectly, but it doesn't need it. That doesn't have artistic merit. That's just te- technically perfect. The whole joy of art is that it's intangible, you don't know, you can't create it on demand. Mm -hmm. It comes from a time and a place and it has so much behind it that isn't rational or logical, it's emotional. I think maybe it's, maybe in fact to refine it a bit
2: more, you can have genius in performance. I mean, you can have people who can repeatedly reproduce a level of performance that is absolutely staggering and puts them in like the top 0.0001 percentile of the human race. But in terms of writing music, it's not as easy as that. In terms of writing music because the, the, the notion of quality within written music is so subjective, it's a much harder thing to really call someone a genius at writing when especially with modern music so much of it is about convincing people they like it rather or and people try to convince themselves they like it actually a lot of the time mm-hmm. when it comes from their favourite
1: artist so do you think so um, Marissa Adler should retrain and go into cyber <laughs>
2: is that what you're I you think you Boris is on the the right track yeah 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 mm-hmm. um, she's I had a good run at it she should get done a Tesco now it's interesting
0: uh, because obviously the crux of your argument is objectivity right because there's thousands literally hundreds of thousands of scientists out there that just do it as a day job and that's it you know and then they're not mm-hmm. free geniuses either mm-hmm. so it comes back yeah, and to
2: that yeah there's, and there's loads of doctors that make mistakes yeah and they are the Marissa Nadler of doctrine
0: <laughs> there's loads of geniuses that make mistakes as well <laughs> you know
2: uh, yeah that's
1: true that's true
0: that's true otherwise we wouldn't be um, out there trying to prove Einstein wrong every single chance we get be the general
1: I mean I, 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 I think I'm I'm so- is that you, you want to prove it wrong because then it becomes like that's the whole point it's out there to be proven wrong yeah totally uh-huh.
2: yeah so I guess we're going to apply the scientific method to Marissa Adler and try and prove her wrong whereas Mark's going to go the religious route and <laughs> <Interesting>. yeah <laughs> now nah, i mean sorry i'm just
0: i'm not I'm, I'm not trying to be skeptical sorry it, it just comes naturally but i guess uh, you know i think i think a lot of her stuff is a much of a much, much of a muchness but i've picked i've picked this record and i've also got a bunch of highlights which i think make a pretty good collection i uh-huh. think this record is the most consistent but we'll get to that in due course can we skim through the records and i mean skim Please, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah. So first record is Ballads of Living and Dying." I've got one a-
2: great song in it that's head and shoulders above the rest. "I uh, tantos muertos."
3: <laughs> um,
2: which translates, I think, as There Are So Many Dead. It's a good song. It's written in a a Palo Neruda poem. It does almost sound like a classic sort of Mexican Civil War era Folk lament, you know, it's a very authentic sounding bit of music. Really simple, and I think the simplicity in it, like and, and the, the the inclusion of the accordion actually is a really nice folky touch as well. But it's it's really really charming little tune. I like that one a lot. It's yeah. probably the one
0: I've I've been humming the most since uh, going through the catalog. It's funny you mentioned the Nobel Prize because Neruda had won the Nobel Prize for Literature, <laughs> and his poem is used in that song. Um, I there are no coincidences in this m- podcast I think "Stallions" is a really cool song I, li- I like the Elliot, guitar, the Elliot Smith kind of vibe to the guitar Which he sometimes does
3: And
0: she did do a cover of Pitchley as well uh, On before she recorded July which is pretty cool Um, it's quite a raw record there's a lot of cool Americana country stuff going on which you know I'm a sucker for anyway hence why I like Mm. Chuck Reagan and all that kind of stuff so much Um, I can see where the goth the, the quote unquote goth thing comes from like there's a darkness to it because of the way it's produced but the whole Tales of Living and Dying balls of Living and Dying kind of vibe Is a whole American Gothic thing right So mm. I guess that's where the whole the whole stroke comes from um, She follows it up with the saga of Mayflower and May This is a character that seems to recur Both in that album, this one And a little bit in Songs 3 as well Pretty good sound in this one It's got much better production uh, But still got the same kind of vibe um, My highlight in that is Mr John Lee
3: Mr
0: Uh, and yellow yeah. lights. Yeah, I mean,
2: yellow lights is the standout track in that for me. It's like a three-three timed one, and it's strummed as well rather than picked. Yeah. Yellow lights
3: are three, Let the shadow of grey me.
0: Can you help
3: her walk away
2: again? And already at this point, the picking is just so. Fucking numbed by the picking patterns. I think I think it's either this, it's either the first album or this one. You know, there's three tracks in a row that are the same tempo with the same pattern, mm-hmm. and they are virtually indistinguishable. Um, obviously, the yellow lights has this really nice high drone noise. It's a Hammond, yeah, yeah, that's that's quite a nice touch as well. That's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing else in this album stayed with me whatsoever. Oh, be- uh, actually, sorry, uh, I beg your pardon. I'm, I'm being a bit harsh. I like the, the song "My Little Lark." That's quite nice as well.
4: Further and
3: further are you growing now? Further
2: and further. It's got a really nice chorus in it. It's got a
0: nice shift in it, so I don't want to be too harsh on that. And then it's songs three after that, which we will cover uh, later on. Mm-hmm. Then she moved into Little Hells which is an album she released two thousand and nine. Uh, a bit more electronic, just much more fully arranged than mm-hmm. it. It's I think it's
2: much nicer. It's more interesting. This actually, Dave mentioned her voice is similar to Siobhan Wilson's, because mm. of the more adventurous arrangement. This this album sounds closer to something that Siobhan would do. Hi. I prefer Chabon stuff because when she hits on a really strong song it's a very very strong song. For me Marissa is almost always a 6 out of 10, which is fine. It's a, it's a you know, it's a decent return, but she virtually never steps it up to the to the higher. And she she doesn't take as many risks and in this album she actually goes to town with some of the production. Uh, and I I like that. I think uh, down that road there may be some more interesting results for her. Um Ironically though, I suppose, uh, the best track in this for me was probably the most conventional one by her standards, uh, Ghosts and Lovers, the fourth
3: one. Fifth. Sorry, fifth one? Is it the fifth
2: track? Um the 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 picking in it's quite dark. It's quite it's got a lower register. Uh, it's got a really warm, strong uh, central vocal in it as well. But I mean, the album overall was a little bit more compelling.
0: Yeah, this didn't really land so well with me. I like Little Hells a lot. The song. Um, it's kind of at this point I'm kind of starting to feel as though, like me personally, I'm starting to feel as though she's got more of her own thing going on now. Uh, there's a bit more to that song The Hammond's got quite a nice layer in it There's a really odd synth part that kind of lifts it towards the end as well um, She follows it up She gets dropped by her label after this record And then she went on to Launch a kickstarter for the following record Marissa Nader, the self-titled album Which I think is probably one of her best records Because it's quite different From a lot of her other uh, stuff
1: Yeah, it's uh, definitely yeah. more the like more mi- uh, Major key stuff It's a bit happier bit more dream poppy
2: it's the only album that I couldn't find a single song for the playlist on I really didn't like it <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, I mean uh, I'm not bamming you up. Mm-hmm. It genuinely is the only
0: one that I, there was
2: no track on it
0: that, that that stood out. So for me, this is more alt country. So this leans more towards like the Ryan Adams, Jason Isbell kind of thing, slidey stuff. Yeah, uh, Boggin. totally f- boggin'. Fucking love. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Subjectivity <laughs> there's <a lot> here. <laughs> there's a lot of tracks. was a few tracks in this I really liked. Um, Alabaster Queen's got kind of a Kate bushy vocal vibe. <laughs>
1: The queen. Yeah, I got that I definitely Like, I didn't want to mention Kate Bush Just because it's a female singer But there definitely was Eventually She did pop up
0: Mm-hmm and she pulls she she there's not a lot of viber on her vocals on this record, which is a good touch because I think that's a bit overdone by this point in her career. And she she kind of goes back to that well a few times as as, as her career goes on. The sun always reminds me of you. Sounds sounds a bit like a Ryan Adams song. That pedal that pedal steel and that slow groove with that play, upright piano. Really, Do you know, really know nice.
1: I once went to see Ryan Adams in I think at the Festival Theatre in Edinburgh. I went with my girlfriend and her friend. I'm not really a big Ryan Adams fan And it was just him and his guitar And he played for three hours I have never been so fucking bored in my life The, fuck, the
0: fucking humanity of it That is, oh, that is horrendous That is Jesus. why I've never seen Ryan Adams' life Because yeah, I don't oh, think I could fit through that so I like a lot of his stuff But I couldn't, Jesus. couldn't do that man Not for him No, no. Um, she recorded The Sister Which is the album after The self-titled at the same time And she sees mm-hmm. it as like a companion album it's mostly back to kind of solo guitar and vocal.
2: The track, uh, on, uh, I think it's the fourth one, Apostle. Through the door
3: your face again, it's
2: kind of textbook her, mm-hmm. but I think it's one of the best examples of textbook her. It's a finger-picky thing does absolutely nothing new but it does do it really pretty well and it's got a big open vocal line in the chorus that's quite nice yeah but that, that that was the only one that really stayed with me in that one I liked Christine I liked
0: the melody on that your bones and
3: then they you to court you but you're dying what has been
0: keys and the slight percussion are quite good and having your know, having a male backing vocal on there really adds a new thing to the, mic, the mix and it's quite ethereal feeling i think as well and then we've got july which is our sacred bone our debut on sacred bones the record label sacred bones uh, yeah blank
1: mass label so yeah a very cool uh, and well branded uh record label
2: yeah gothy i guess and uh, dark and sort of Alt. all contributes to the uh to the the brand, absolutely. Uh I told a lie actually. This is another album ours that I couldn't find anything on that I liked. This this uh, this
0: is produced by Randall Dunn. <laughs> Look at Dave's face. Who <laughs> <laughs> Randall Dunn had done the strings on Deep Politics. Yeah, hey, I remember yeah. you give him you give me a nod. Yeah, yeah,
1: I I remember you mentioning that. There's and
0: that. a couple of songs I like in this um Drive. Some really cool lyrics And the backing vocals are cool It's got that usual Haunted feeling that she has But The way that the strings Occasionally come in And the keys Is really nice um, Was it a dream as well uh, It's quite a cold song But the drums On that are really good And the electric guitar solo Towards the end Really stands out Gives it a, a totally different texture can I just say I, I don't I think there
2: are some song titles that should now be taken off the the available register of song title names because they're just so fucking overdone and Drive has got to be one of them. Yeah. Um, with possible exceptions, uh, if you're referring to golf, so if the song is called <laughs> <laughs> the song is Drive, but you're actually referring to so for Nick Faldo's off.
1: debut album, <laughs> that's fine. Like
2: uh, or or in, if you're into paving. And it's to do a yeah, you uh, do a concept album
1: of all the different um, (laughs) types of drive. (laughs)
2: That's also fine. This track's called Monoblock. I can deal with it, right? But honestly, I'm so fucking sick of people naming fucking songs. Well, because
1: the cars perfected the all drive songs, so uh, that's it. It's it's like in a football team where you
2: stop you stop letting anyone wear that number in the shirt. It's like retire that sail.
0: Done. Retired. No longer using that. And then she does strangers, um gosh, she's got so many albums. I didn't realize like <laughs> yeah, I mean, quick <laughs> no. um, Fuck you, Mark. Um
2: yeah, I mean Hungry's the Ghost is quite nice on this. It's very it's a bit like Beach House. Uh, Sub poppy uh, mm-hmm. Dream poppy band It's quite
0: touching Bigger sound again Quite layered And it's a bit percussive yeah. Is that it's right? There's two songs this That I absolutely adore Actually Skysca- Skyscraper Which is tremendous It's really big it's, it's got a really big This album's got quite A 90s vibe overall I think Did I
3: change a mind? I was a floor
0: Um, there's some really oppressive electronic sounds in that that I really dig. And my favourite song is Janie in Love. Oh,
4: love.
0: It feels like it's got this big wall of sound, almost Phil Spector esque production, but it's got like a total Elliott Smith vocal melody. I just think it's if so I, good,
2: man. If I go and listen to this and it's actually just another solo acoustic you really tune, I'm going to be fucking <laughs> raging with it.
1: <laughs> um, then, I mean, she started. We're talking about this, but like she's doing quite a lot of collaborations all the way through this, mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. with some interesting folk and some not interesting folk. Oh, Jesus, that, she's, mean, got, she's uh, got, got enough albums.
2: We don't need to go into all of her fucking no, I know, collaborations.
1: But, <laughs> and, like, she collaborated with Angel Olsen back in 2012. Oh. Who's kind of somebody similar doing like? Although Angel Olsen has gotten much more into using a band rather than just maintaining that sort of folky vibe, and then yeah, she like worked did some stuff with Simon. Raymond from Cock 2 Twins and uh, Richie Thomas of Jesus and Mary Chain
2: Did she not do something with Father
1: Joe Misty as well? Uh, yeah I yeah. mentioned that Um, I fucking hate him so fuck <laughs> off <laughs>
0: Actually Angel Olsen Pops up on the next album um, For My Crimes With Sharon Van Etten as well She's on that too Patty and um, From Hole there, There's a track of this called I Can't Listen to Gene Clark Anymore Which is Yeah it's alright
3: I can listen to Jean-
2: Um, I like that song It kind of r- th- It reminds me of a, a, What I think is a slightly better song Called Placeholder By a band called Hand Habits Or a, an artist called Hand Habits <laughs> I think that record nestles her in a contemporary sound and more of a contemporary scene with a lot of the artists you're talking about. She could have been drifting about for a long time as this scene was sort of taking shape, whereas now she finds mm-hmm. that she's in a sort of category of female gothy acoustic pop acts and it's maybe a wee bit easier to to do your, your thing when there's more of a scene around you rather than being mm-hmm. stuck out there on your
0: own. Yeah, totally. She kinda of follows it up with the last album, Drone Flower, which is very much for me feels as though she's moving towards this A. a. Williams sort of Emma Ruth Rundle Chelsea Wolf that's vibe. Stephen Brodsky's yeah.
2: and her collaborating. it's not really her project, it's more of a different thing altogether, isn't it? it doesn't feel like her really I mean I know, I know well it's, it's the two of them her, but well, I mean a, yeah. yeah yeah but it's a totally it, it's a, a it's not her solo work yeah yeah, it's a different sort different of
1: s- canon no, it's not canon yeah. is that how you describe it yeah I guess
2: it, it's alright it's uh, an interesting idea I like a lot of what Stephen Brodsky does and they together come up with some okay moments it's not I don't know, it set my world on fire but you know, it makes sense in terms of how she seems to see herself as an artist uh huh
0: the Guns N' Roses cover of Estranged than that is fucking tremendous mm. <laughs> See, I love yeah, that song anyway enough. even though it's horrible it's like so long and it's just like the most Guns N' Roses overblown cocaine thing in the world does,
4: baby,
0: this version of that song is not that and it's even yeah. better as a result Well,
1: I I appreciate covers that get them to fuck, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good.
0: Uh, So, uh, yeah, this record, Mark. Song 3, Bird on the Water. On the Water, (laughs) not on the Wire, on the Water. Because I was listening to Wire earlier on today.
2: Can can I just say this easily, of, of all of our stuff, has the most 60s folk sound Mm-hmm. You can you can draw comparisons with Kath Bloom who've talked about Joan Baez, I think even Marianne Faithful, people like that. There's a very hippie-ish late sixties solo, uh, female singer sound on, on this, which is kinda charming. I mean there's there's a lot of people are into that. I've never really massively connected with most of it. I do really love some stuff by Kath Bloom, but you know, pick and choose.
0: Mm-hmm. This is that um, does feel like it does have a total psychedelic vibe. I was going to mention that, and it's in my notes throughout actually. So I guess we'll go through it quite briefly and pick out some of the some of the tracks that I, that I think are quite good. It starts off with Diamond Heart, which is reminds me of Elliot Smith a little bit. Sometimes he was pointing to kind of folkish uh, stuff as well. Now. Um, I like the lyrics in this song, and I like how one of the things that struck me when I first started listening to her was, you know, when her voice and the guitar are not overloaded with reverb when they've got just enough on it. Um, yeah, I will say that, like vocally
2: and lyrically, she's very close
0: to Joanna Newsom in this song. Totally, yeah, she is. But compared to the last two records, this this, this song represents like an evil a, a maturation. as a songwriter, I suppose. And there's some nice subtle lead guitar parts in there as well, which I believe are played by Greg Weeks who produced a record, a guy from Espers Well
1: that's it, yeah, things. I I think the production is quite important on this record like it's subtle, I think we mentioned subtle quite a lot uh, with Grails last week but yeah, it's the little bits and bobs that go in on this record particularly that I think make it stand out compared to the rest of our stuff you know, and we'll we'll find that as we go through it. Yeah, so Espers are like a sort of weird psych folk rock band
3: I love the bro-
1: Yeah, they add a nice bit of weirdness to this record that I think l- is lacking on other ones.
0: Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I was drawn to it so much. Um, Dying Breed is a good example of maybe what would have been on the last two records just another solo joint, you know, just mm-hmm. vocal and guitar.
3: Yes, you would die.
0: But then it's kind of got this synth and bell thing, kind of yeah, the bell motif's cool.
1: Yeah. yeah, I
2: like that warped bell. It's it's kind of got a sixties folk thing. Do you know?
1: What, going uh, on. Do you know what? I like. I really like the bell production, but see the way that it pans around. For hmm. some reason, it made me feel like I was in like I don't know one of those VR historical panoramas that you might get in a museum oh this is what it was like to be in a 1900 you know or in a late 18th century midwest town I, <laughs> I, like and the sound of the bell was like a tram going by or something like that uh, and I, th- I think that was just the general vibe of the song as well because it's got that weird yeah, it, yeah more it's very like quaint quaint Americana rather than gothy but I, no, th- th- I think th- it really works I, yeah it's one of the only tunes where she really does A sort of
2: bluesy push in her vocal as well. This is this is like a couple of really strong bent notes, you know, bending into the note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She doesn't do that very often, she pulls it off pretty well. It's it's unusual to hear it though mm-hmm. in
1: her stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I like I also like how intimate and close the production is, it feels like it's right in front of your face, which is cool. Yeah, um, the Mexican Summer, I think, is one of the strongest songs on the record. It's got a p- proper country folk vibe.
2: Thankfully, strummed, not picked, just yeah. to give us some fucking relief. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's got some uh, nice, you know, Fender guitars through Fender amps as well. Yeah, like the, the, the vibe is nice. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, it's vocally quite similar to uh, some of the folky stuff by Shearwater, you know, Jonathan Melvin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it Jonathan Melvin? No. Is that the guy that died for Smashing Pumpkins? Oh, well, Shearwater, anyway. <laughs> Shearwater. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And not the baritone thing, but the kinda of the, the, the blissy druggy stuff. It's it's
0: yeah, it's quite blissed out. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a cool understated drum beat and like Dave says a lead guitar bits so and having the bass on the on the kick and the sort of a suggestion of the root notes is pretty cool. It is really dreamy. Yeah. She doesn't really do that much in the first two records, so when it comes in here it's quite effective. Although it's definitely better when she's not harmonising herself at other points in her career. Sometimes yeah. I think mm-hmm. harmonising herself can be a bit weird. Uh, the
2: next one, thinking of you, I think
0: but it's certainly, up to this point, the most fragile
1: song it? Gave me
3: that I could hold on it.
2: It's got a sadder atmosphere than the others and a quite a vulnerable delivery in the voice as well. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely
1: more like melodramatic she's got a slight maybe like English folky accent going on a little bit mm-hmm, with yeah. some of her enunciations and it's just it, yeah it's sadder but also maybe a little bit more theatrical
0: as well I, mm, it's kind of yeah. got a, an Elizabethan feel to me like it feels very 19th century you know yeah like, I suppose yeah. Um, I like that you see the cello in it it's very subtle uh,
2: yeah. and it helps lift the chorus a bit but I mean it's not, a, it's not a great melody by any means but it is fairly memorable I don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> Like it's got it. an
0: ear. It's got a sad earworm quality to it. I just don't know if I actually enjoy it. Uh, Sylvia is the next track. A lot of reviewers picked this out as being a highlight of the album. Personally, I, I agree. Actually, uh, it's it's a more positive one. I um, like the lyrics.
1: Sylvia, Sylvia,
3: Sylvia, I met you in my back.
0: Yeah, yeah nice, mm. nice, and abstract. Yeah, personally, I think it could have used some drums. I think it needs that. I think it, it feels as though it needs a, a another layer of percu- like percussion to it. Almost, mm, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I love the like. I love the wee like. I think it's a Hammond organ
1: over in the right channel. Mm-hmm. It's like, or wait, am I wearing my headphones the right way around <laughs> in, in one of the <laughs> channels? And um, it's kind of cheesy, and it's this. Yeah, it comes from you know the the production with the uh, Esper's. You know, it could be a wee old church somewhere in las vegas or something like that or you know in the 70s and you've got that organ playing yeah, in the it background yeah feels very it. western like yeah, a, like,
0: a yeah. like 50s kind of western vibe yeah
2: so- uh, she really she, she really leans into this sort of girl next door that every young alternative guy absolutely
0: was besotted with in this it's got this very eccentric geek energy Bird, um, Bird in Your Grave is also sti- signalled out by Reviewers um, As being one of the best songs on the record
3: say a for me.
0: It's definitely I, the weirdest I, song on the album I,
2: Again I kind of agree with Reviewers on this It's one of the better ones I, yeah, I like the, it a lot only, the, the only thing it, no in fact you know what just looking at my notes I'm talking shit nah this song's crap <laughs> <laughs> I know I like this. Uh, this one's like way got, more proggy m- m- this is melody the melody that- is bland uh, mm. and the guitar sounds so fucking thin yet the vocals are really lush and warm and thick and it's a really odd dwarfing uh, thing, sorry I need to pay more attention to my notes when I'm talking. So I, I like note. this. I like like Lip her blush.
1: vocal, like is sometimes very pronounced and exe- accentuated. Like in thinking of you, but like this is way more generally ethereal and floaty. Two minutes in, there's a bit that could have been lifted from Deep Politics last week, <laughs> funnily enough.
0: Yeah, the, the the lead guitars are just like pure clanging. They come in and out of nowhere and then they just kind of do weird stuff and it's a totally odd vibe, man. But I like I, I it. Quite, I quite like it. It's a bit jarring at first, but... I think it adds
1: like it. a dynamic to the whole record. It like stretches a little bit. Stretches mm. what you're expecting. Then Rachel, I mean, this is where the album just starts to repeat.
0: Yeah, this it's... one is a bit like... So, I mean, it's got
1: this bit has, I quite like the wee synth bass going on underneath it.
0: Bit ominous,
3: yeah.
1: So, it's got some nice sharp tremolo lead guitar in this. In Marissa's opening paragraph of her uh, wikipedia it says her music is rooted in old school country and folk but brings in elements of experimental and black metal now going yeah, through that, it, her that, entire that, discography that needs to fuck off that's so i think the stupid. is this guitar lead guitar bit the only part that has any link to black metal at all Because I think they're very. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. There's no black metal in her in any way.
0: Yes.
2: No. I mean that. That's another thing that really jars with me about her. Like it's that forced branding. That that kind of. Trying to make her into like a gothy act, yeah. Like but by tri- you know, get her to do a vocal disaster. By the way, do a vocal disaster who has made some fucking highly problematic comments about the fact that minorities are overrunning the white race in America, and that he neither condones nor disavows National Socialist Black Metal. I mean, there are fucking smarter things to do in your career than duetting with people like that, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how badly you want to be perceived as edgy. I
0: agree.
1: But um, yeah, in terms of this song It's as close to black metal <laughs> as she gets
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's got that like, kind of harmonised Baronessian and Mastodon guitar thing At the end, which is the most, probably the most metal Thing she's done, and right. she has an album With Stephen Broski so. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Feathers is Feathers, pretty cool you know,
2: uh, Feathers is like uh, a wee bit Like Thinking of You for me I, I don't actually particularly like it, but I did notice that it was Quite catchy Fe- That sort of evil earworm quality mm-hmm. uh, You know it was very memorable I can I can hum it even right now Despite having listened to fucking Literally more than a hundred songs That were almost indistinguishable But I, I, it, It's a hard thing to, to really quantify Like I respect the fact that it's hooky But I also don't like the hook it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing But it's also got a line in it Eyes as deep as brandy wine That needs to fuck off so far Like I absolutely <laughs> fucking hate That kitsch Bullshit fucking lyric It's so fucking annoying
0: I think a cello And it's pretty cool And there's a really nice Sort of Is che- it a synth Or a slide guitar maybe I don't know Cellos are
2: always cool though You yeah. could make the Shittest album in the world And you'll still be like Cello's um, nice though No that's not yeah. true Cello Cello's always sound good No that's not
0: true uh, the, the Leonard Cohen cover Which is next Famous Blue Raincoat uh, I don't know the original I'm not familiar with Cohen at all Really No Apparently, so like see a if you're mind. really
1: into Leonard Cohen, mm-hmm. would you be called a Cohen head? <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey. how long have you worked? how long have you wanted to make a joke for, Dave? It's just the way you
1: pronounce <laughs> Cohen. I was like, oh, I've, that joke has been created in my head right now. <laughs> uh, next up, my love and I, total non-event. Yeah, totally. I didn't actually have even. Any notes for that song? <laughs>
0: exactly. There you go. <laughs> Fucking a, one, track ten. Shrug. There's a really um, loud synth or Hammond organ in it, which just I can't. I just couldn't get over. It was just grating to me. I was like, no, you can get this song after the album, please. It's not happening. And leather yeah. matches.
1: I like that song a lot. Actually. Final, I liked it. I really like the wee organ comes in again. I like. Her. I am I like completely
2: her. numb to that fucking picking and that vocal pitching at this point. We're three albums into this woman's career, and she's done the same fucking thing at least twenty times already. And I'm just, I'm just, uh, whatever. It's, it's totally numbing. I think, I think, you know, it's it's a it's a hard line to walk here because I do think she's talented and has the potential to do some really, really nice things and I've picked out a few really, really nice things but she's just repeating herself, looking for different results trying to like slightly refine it and not taking any real chances and then the few times she does take chances she actually does stuff that's pretty interesting and then I think there's just an over-reliance on a, a, a sort of association with things like edginess like black metal and goth and, and you know moodiness and uh, rather than just like well you could also write some really fucking decent songs that'd be good maybe release one less album and make the album better uh, I I just something really doesn't sit well with me I don't think necessarily the people around her giving her advice are doing her many favours either but yeah the fuck do you know hey she's doing well um,
1: she's um, you know
2: yeah she's doing a damn sight better than me so you know jokes on me but
1: <laughs> yeah whatever Actually, I went into this thinking, oh, I'm going to like it because it could be heavy or gothy And then I was taken aback by how straightforward and folky it was. And then I went. By, th- how, by how missold you were. <laughs> yeah. And I listened to this record once and then I tried to find edge in the rest of her stuff. And I was like, oh, God, there's not a lot of stuff that's hooking me in here. But then I went back to this record and. Maybe I'm like my fourth or fifth listen. I it totally got me. I actually really like this album and I I think it stands way above any of our other stuff. Um I think there are a couple of duff tracks or you know meandering tracks on it. But I think overall she is quite an interesting artist that ha- can reach you know good heights and I think that maybe seven of her best 10 songs are on this record. And I I I, I also I really props to Greg Weeks' in terms of the production because I think the weird sort of psyche subtle wonkiness um, that Yay, you, there it is. yeah, <laughs> that you pick up uh, on your you know third or fourth listen is what makes this record really interesting cool
0: um, I really like Americana and it took me a few lessons to get into this record but something kept bringing me back to it I don't really know what it was but I'm glad I I'm glad I did I do think it's the best record that she's done
1: I hear some really good songs on it I, re- I, I like it um, I'm not really going to listen to any of her other records, but it's very nice, this one. It's got some very nice bits in it. It's very nice. It's very nice. So I, I'd say aye. Stick it in, because she's definitely got enough interesting things going on that she should be mentioned in the discography, and people will find enough within her discography that's interesting, and to me, they're basically all on this record, so I fuck it, fire it in. Friday.
2: <laughs> well, it's Mark, Nexus it's, time. Uh, it's Nexus time, yeah. yeah, yeah. Get up. You're up first.
1: The, this is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store this for is us? Not a good one.
4: Why am I here? you Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you, this is what you want.
1: So, um I believe sometimes host, sometimes guest, hopefully most times listener, uh VJ, VJ. has chosen... <laughs> The dad quote, next door The next door dad Out of American Beauty Yeah okay quote, So um, we've got to get From Marissa to, to he uh, Mark you're up
0: So am I right in thinking That this guy is Played by Chris Cooper
1: You're correct yeah
0: Cool I've been a long glad time Glad that you checked now <laughs> yeah. No Not been a long time Since I've seen American Beauty And I didn't want to watch it again So you don't want to, uh, you should get you Mark, mark a a computer,
4: right?
0: but, Yeah, <laughs> but I, I read it was next door. I was like, well, you know, there's more than one house. I've not seen it for a while. So anyway, oh, yeah, and yeah. Um, a deep dive now. Yeah, so um, Pat um plays drums on the album for my crimes. Not long after she, she quit, a hole, she started. She played drums on the Juliet Lewis and Alex EP, like a bolt of lightning. Um, Juliet Lewis and Alex were fronted by Juliet Lewis, who's also an actress. And she appeared with Chris Cooper in the film August Osage County. And oh. Chris Cooper's an American.
1: There movie. you go straight in, quick. <laughs> he just doesn't <laughs> give a fuck, does he? <laughs> <laughs> it's like
2: I mean you could you could you could go somewhere else with that, maybe mention I don't know, Willie
0: Mammoths or No no Volkswagens or Biscuits but nice no, he's like oh, I tried fine. I really tried to put some really interesting shit in there I went through so many fucking <laughs> bad fucking avenues man. so many bad <laughs> avenues learned quite a lot of cool stuff like George Travolta was originally supposed to play Kevin's, Kevin Spacey's role in mm-hmm. American Beauty Yeah, that's quite interesting um, so was Bruce Willis was also approached for it they both done albums so I thought I could maybe link them but it wasn't happening so, so you went yeah, the easy option I went the easy option mm. uh, bottled it that's alright bottled it Dave do you fancy your chances here I mean I've got a Pretty sizable one.
1: As always. Um, All right. Well, you did mention the covers laying the groundwork for our Nexus. As part of Droneflower album with Stephen Brodsky, they recorded In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. Uh, Ambitious <laughs> and th- it wasn't put on the record. Oh yeah, no, uh, obviously that
2: song, that entire that band song band is just I waiting for drums. That <laughs> that, like, that entire song is just reverb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not even drums. It's da-dum, just da-dum, reverb. Da-dum, da-dum. It's like gated reverb on a vocal, it's reverb on drums. The entire fucking song is reverb. How do you cover that? Yeah, well. Unless you're gonna soak your fucking cover with the
1: reverb. Exactly. Well Phil Collins, do you know what they're one of these amazing roundabouts for the Nexus because there's just so many options you could go down mm. with Phil Collins. Yeah. And what I've what I've found is that did you know that Phil Collins is a modern railway enthusiast? Like Rod Stewart? Like Rod Stewart and Mentioned a third model railway enthusiast, Eric Clapton. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so so we're going gradually right. (laughs) So did you know that Eric Clapton was a racist? Yes, you knew that. (laughs) Horribly so. Um, But I mean, I, I think we've mentioned that, but I mean, people know that in 1976 he came out and said that Enoch Powell was right and send them all back blah blah blah. But out of that came the rock against racism uh political and cultural movement which was punk, reggae, bit of everything and yeah, it was like a genuinely positive movement in Britain in the late 70s, you know, a pretty grim place to be. And one of the leading lights in that was Tom Robinson, who was in the Tom Robinson band and he's also a long-time LGBT rights activist. I, f- I hate that song 2468 Motorway And I always thought that it was Tom Petty For some reason Until mm. about three years ago But um, yeah Tom Robinson still um, He's got a six music show nowadays um, Does a lot of support for young bands And uh, I can see that in oh, what, On the 2nd of June 2015 Tom Robinson appeared on uh, Steve Wright in the afternoon alongside Anthony Andrews who is an actor, I don't know who he is and Professor Brian Cox now, Professor Brian Cox not to be confused with uh, Dundonian actor, Brian Cox and not just linked by their name, there is actually, I would show you a photo, if we were in the same room, of the two of them together, so uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Double Cox cause cause lols, cause lols yeah. and they're both, you know Hey, we are, we've got the same name. We're a couple of cocks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let's, let's touch together. Uh, Brian Cox appeared in the Japanese remake of The Ring in 2000. No, the American remake of the Japanese horror The Ring in 2002 with Naomi Watts, which just one of those shite American remakes that they did of all the Japanese horrors. And Chris Cooper appeared in... As an in an uncredited cameo as child murderer in two thousand and two's The Ring, you know, I mean, the guy's won you know BAFTAs what? and been nominated for Academy Awards, but he appeared as an uncredited cameo as child murderer in.
2: That's the, really weird. Yeah. Why the fuck not? Yeah.
1: Uh, and that was three years after he'd played the dad next door in American Beauty. Hmm, strange one.
2: Okay, uh, Marissa Nadler covered uh, both Bob Dylan and Tom Petty on Covers Volume 2. Tom Petty's last ever televised interview or video film interview, whatever, was for a film called Echoing the Canyon in 2018, which is a film about the kind of Laurel Canyon folk scene just sort of relevant to this podcast anyway uh to kind of when the folk went electric thing um also that film's actually hosted by jacob dylan bob dylan's son the film features michelle phillips who was a member of the mamas and the papas michelle phillips was married to john phillips uh from that band John Phillips um, had a child called Mackenzie Phillips with his second wife a woman called Susan Adams uh, and John Phillips also had a 10 year incestuous relationship with his daughter from the age of 19 which commenced on the eve of her wedding um, they did a bunch of gear well, then got absolutely mad with it and she woke up and her dad was raping her and then as she describes it as a sort of Stockholm Syndrome thing where she just it gradually progressed to consensual sex and it lasted for a decade her sister sort of confirms it her sister says yeah it sounds completely plausible in my experience The another member of the mamas and the papas uh, says that it was true but John Phillips' two ex-wives say it's total bullshit and that Mackenzie Phillips was Mad with drugs and rehab. She was actually on celebrity rehab at one point, which was a route that almost went down. Um but anyway, yeah, so she seems very adamant that this is just what happened and her sister agrees. Anyway, the the person she was meant to be marrying the evening, the wedding evening that that started is a guy called Jeff Sessler. And Jeff Sessler was a son of a guy called Freddy Sessler, who was really, really good friends with Rolling Stones. He was basically their dealer. Um, Keith Richards once described him as a sex fueled, vodka charged Coke Mountain. <laughs> yep. Uh, Freddie Sessler had a strange uh, side hustle. He helped found the Miami Venom Institute with a guy called Bill Hast. Um, and basically, what this place did was it microdosed snake venom to sick people, uh, you know, to Safe. try
1: and mm-hmm. st- <laughs> stimulate their immune. There's a Vice documentary system. about uh, guys like modern folk doing that. And uh, yeah, well, actually, that's where, that's,
2: <laughs> that's where we're going. So he, he microdosed this to people because it's you know stimulated their immune system and sort of uh, what's the word? Um, made them more resistant to other toxins. That was the theory. He actually at that. Uh, place they treated a guy called Ronnie Lane who was in the small faces who had multiple sclerosis. There was a couple of other people as well that were sort of
1: That's like vaguely uh, famous. consistently crashing your car so that when you properly crash your car it doesn't look as bad.
2: Well <laughs> the, the, the thing is so the FDA clearly didn't agree with it and they shut it down and I think the guys got prosecuted but um, the patients were really positive about it and actually people with multiple sclerosis that had been treated by it, whether they were Actually, seen benefits or not, or whether it's a psychosomatic, you know, um, placebo effect, said that the the treatment was helping, but you know you can't really be sure. Anyway, that process that microdosing extracted venom to build up a tolerance is actually got a name, and it's called mithridatism or mithridatism, um, and it's named after the the king of Pontus, Mithridates the sixth, who was actually. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually dosed in this way by one of his advisors a guy called Chanakaya um, Chanakaya is also known as Cotillia you might have heard of Cotillian method um, like Cotili, he's the father of modern espionage basically oh, wow. just kind of in the same way as Sun Tzu is the the father of modern warfare uh, he's a really famous Indian philosopher in that sense and advisor to this, King Mithridates there is a book called Mithridates a Muerto a lot of Spanish today, Mithridates is dead, basically, by a, a Spanish writer called Rebo. Rib- uh, um And the book is basically drawing a comparison between uh, the story of Mithridates and the story, the uh, life and death of Osama bin Laden. Uh, Osama bin Laden, who was executed by SEAL Team 6 in 2011 in a fairly famous incursion in Pakistan. He was killed uh, with a gun called a Sig Sawyer P226. Uh, you can actually see pictures of the the gun that killed him online. And funnily enough, Kevin Spacey was sort of killed by a Sieg Sawyer P226 in 1999 when his neighbour, uh, Colonel Frank Fitz, shot him in the head from behind at a kitchen table. Beautiful. Uh, that's that is the, the weapon that uh Fitz uh uses to kill Kevin Spacey's character on American Beauty. Um by the way, there's also uh, a gay love scene cut from American Beauty featuring Colonel Frank Fitz and one of his army colleagues in Vietnam decades before the movie takes place and they, they cut it from the, the final edit.
1: Well, amazing. That was uh went round to the fucking houses. Um <laughs> am I Correct in saying that at the end of American Beauty, as it sort of fades out and shows you a wet suburbia, Ellis Smith covered mm-hmm. "Because" by the Beatles because, over the end, and yeah. it's quite affecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see what I'm getting at here. I see you again. I'm at. You're getting at a should, link. We to yeah. what we should maybe do next week.
2: Wow, seamless. Uh, seamless. How about?
0: Uh, Mark, do you know anyone that would like to do this with us? I've got somebody in mind, yeah. Um, somebody
1: that would talk about the good use of uh, music in movies.
0: Yeah, no, I know this guy. He's, he's part of a podcast called Strong Language and Violent Scenes. Uh, and, and they do like horror podcasts, uh, horror films mostly. His name is Mitch Bain. Uh, I've known him for quite a while. He's a, a Bordonian, so go easy on him. So, wait a minute. So, we are now doing the movie mixtape part two with Mitch. That is Mitch's movie mixtape? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love a fucking alliteration Yeah, all right, and that's happening next week. Uh, so we were, we were going to do Abba, but come on, guys, you're you're really not you're not doing yourself any favour on that one.
2: We have an inc- an incredibly full tub of Nexi eye, uh, which we'll somehow have to. I mean, I guess our uh, we'll pull it and we'll work out how we're going to do a nexus with Mitch next week, but we'll get a name first, okay? Yep. And oh, it's one of the new ones. Yay. So this is. This is from uh, Royston Young And he has chosen David St Hubbins oh, Spinal Tap nice. Okay nice. great work There you go Thanks Royston We're doing a film <laughs> We're
0: doing a film episode <laughs> Next week Yeah Mark,
2: Mark It'll be perfect for you You can you can try and do it In one jump finally Almost did it with a video one So you know <laughs> <laughs> Alright uh, We'll be back with Mitch then This time next week uh, In the meantime If you want to hear us Get drunk and talk about ABBA Then please convince somebody To subscribe mm-hmm. There are other benefits. There are other. I mean, I can't think of what they are right now.
0: But Abba is the main benefit.
1: All right. Thanks very much for hanging with us. A pleasure.
0: Bye. 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 Bye.